You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. Jesus calls us to come if you're weary. Leave your weariness with me and come. Leave your burden with me and come. I want to take it for you. I know your burden's heavy. I know your burden with depression. Come. Those that have neglected their spiritual concerns, come back to me. Come back to me and be filled and be quenched of this thirst that you have. Jesus restores our soul. He, res- he cleanses us from our sin. He awakens our spirit. And this is revival. Revival takes place within our heart. What are some of the thoughts that come to your mind whenever you hear the word revival? In today's message, Pastor Dave will teach you about the meaning behind this word we hear so frequently. In his study, you'll learn about the revival we have in Christ when we come to Him with our burdens, sorrows, and sin. Now here's Pastor Dave in the book of Acts chapter 8 as he begins his message, Revival of One. Acts chapter 8, verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go towards the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. So he arose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of her all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning. And sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the Spirit said to Philip, Go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come and sit with him. The place in the Scripture where he was reading was this. He was led as a sheep to slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he opened not his mouth, In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life was taken from the earth. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does this prophet say this? Of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. Now as they went down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Then Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still. And both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. Now when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away so that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found at Azotus, and passing through, he preached in all the cities he came till he came to Caesarea. Revival. Have you noticed how much we've been talking about this word lately? It seems to be like every week we have something to say about revival. We talked about the Samaritan revival. We talked about the counterfeit revival. Um, And we as Christians are anxiously waiting maybe another revival. 
We're, we're awaiting another revival, and there's great big talk that we need revival in this land, and we need the land to come back to Christ. We need the land to come back to its original roots and its original foundations of Christianity. And there's a lot of talk about revival and how we want this to happen. When we looked at the word revival, we defined it as the return or recall or recovery to life from death. We said that revival is the return or recall to activity from a state of languor. And we identified languor as weakness or weakness of body and mind. We said that a revival is the recovery from the state of neglect, the state of oblivion, the state of obscurity, and even the state of depression. And we said that a revival is the renewed awakening of, of men to their spiritual concerns or to their spiritual background. We also said that this sounds like the born-again experience, a revival in our heart. When you place all these things together, you look at what a true revival is, and a true revival is basically the recover of a person from death to life, from darkness to light, from being blind to now I see, a revival happening in one's heart. It's where we take a, a revival takes a person who is in weakness and in, in despair and weariness and brings them back into the strength of Jesus Christ, takes them from that languor and brings them back a weakness of body and mind. A revival recovers a person when they're neglected, when they've neglected their spiritual concerns, when they've neglected their spirituality, they fall into a state of depression, and a revival revives their heart. And certainly a revival awakens us to our spiritual needs and our spiritual concerns. I once was dead, but now I'm alive. I'm not only alive, I'm alive in spirit. I'm alive in my mind. I'm alive in my body. I'm totally alive. Jesus calls us to come if you're weary. Leave your weariness with me and come. Leave your burden with me and come. I want to take it for you. I know your burden's heavy. I know your burden with depression. Come. Those that have neglected their spiritual concerns, come back to me. Come back to me and be filled and be quenched of this thirst that you have. Jesus restores our soul. He, re he cleanses us from our sin. He awakens our spirit. And this is revival. Revival takes place within our heart. Revival takes place within our heart, and revival begins with one person, you and me. Revival begins in our hearts. The message today is a revival of one. The revival of one. Revival makes us new, and it makes us exciting. A revival happens when our heart is open to God's Word, and our lives are changed. And our lives are changed from certain death, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the wages of that sin is death. But a revival takes us from that death sentence and gives us life everlasting in Jesus Christ. How long is forever? It's a long time. It's a long time. And we have that. But have you ever wondered how a revival begins? Have you ever wondered or thought about what a revival might look like? Have you ever been involved in a revival? Have you ever been involved in a true revival? Maybe you have. I don't know. But a revival has certain characteristics and it has certain features that basically set it apart. The first and foremost feature of a revival is the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the singularly most important part of the revival. It is the singularly most important part of what a revival is. In fact, in a book that was written and it was given to us, it's called Invasion of, the, of Wales by the Spirit through Robert Evans, the writer, author James Stewart, says this about revival. The movement must be entirely under the control of the Spirit of God. 
That's a characteristic. Secondly, in this book that he wrote, he said one of the features of a true movement of the Holy Spirit in a revival is that he, the Holy Spirit, does not depend upon one human personality. In other words, during the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit is moving in this revival, God is going to be glorified, not man. However, the Lord does choose human elements in his revival. And the true that human elements must be in the revival. There's a human side to it. We'll talk about that in a little while. But I believe that there are two basic human sides to a revival. Two basic human sides to a revival. The first side is that broken vessel filled with the Holy Spirit of God, chosen by God, given a message by God, and sent to deliver that message. I believe that's one side of the, of the thing. You know, the sword of God in Gideon. I believe that's one side of it. The second side of a revival is the person who's seeking God. The person who is hungering, thirsting for righteousness. Something's missing in their life, and they're hungering, and they're looking for something. And they're searching, and they're searching, and they're searching. They've tried religion. They've tried this. They've tried that. And they're searching all over the place, and they can't find it. And God has quickened their hearts now, and God is ready for them to do what? Receive what the message is going to be when the messenger comes. So I think you see the Holy Spirit working in both ways in a revival. He's working mightily in those that would deliver the message, and he's working mightily in those that might receive the message. And that's what I see the human element is. Another major characteristic of a revival, of a true revival, is that the Lord Jesus, self, Jesus Christ himself is the center of attraction. He is the center of attraction. Jesus told his disciples that they would be witnesses of him. Witnesses of him. Nothing else. A true revival centers on the message of Christ. Centers on the gospel message of salvation through Jesus Christ. That's what the gospel, that's what the revival does. Another true revival characteristic is it doesn't depend on money. It doesn't depend on advertising. Quoting again from Stuart's book, he said, the Holy Spirit, when he comes in power upon a church, a town, or a country, comes with his own strategy and his own working order. When the Holy Spirit comes, he comes in power. That brings us to Philip. Remember Philip? He was chosen as one of the seven to wait on tables and distribute foods way back in Acts 6. He was chosen because he had these certain characteristics in Acts 6.3 we read. He was a man of good reputation. He was full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom. When the church was persecuted after Stephen's death, Philip, like the others, fled. He ran away from the persecution and was led by the Holy Spirit to, of all places, Samaria. And in Acts 8, Chapter, verse 5, it says, And there he preached the Christ to them. Now Philip is in the midst of a true and mighty and great revival. Many are coming to faith in Jesus Christ, and many are being filled with the Holy Spirit, and many are being baptized into his name, and there is great joy in this city. Can you imagine what that must have looked like? Can you imagine all those people coming to salvation at one time? Can you imagine? I can't. Last week, Last week, we're sitting in that auditorium and we're watching Chuck Smith and Love Song. And they're playing all this wonderful music. And every now and then, they're putting clips up of the Jesus movement back in California, back in the late 60s, early 70s. And there's this, there's this, uh, and all these pictures are of meetings and people. And they're in this lagoon, they're in Laguna Beach, and they're in this cove, and Pastor Chuck's in the water. And there's a throng of thousands standing there, and they're all coming in getting baptized. And you're like, Wow, what was that like? 
What would have been like to be there? What would have been like to have the energy that was flowing around there through the Holy Spirit and the people were being saved left and right? People were being brought down. People would drive by and go, oh, look what that's crowd all about. Come out there and stand there for a while. All of a sudden, they're like, yeah, they want to be baptized. They're coming in too. The Holy Spirit is moving and going. That must have been incredible. I just can't imagine what that looked like. Imagine now, you're Philip. And you're in this great revival, and you have a great part of this great revival. You've been preaching the word of God, and you're seeing people get saved left and right. John and Peter come down, and boom, the Holy Spirit falls. And you see people doing all kinds of signs and wonders, and beautiful, wonderful things are happening. There's great joy. There's all kinds of wonderful things happening. And all of a sudden, the Lord says, Philip, I want you to go. What? I want you to leave here. But I'm busy here, and I'm doing your work. Yeah, but I want you to leave. Wait a minute. There's a revival going here. Don't you think I'm needed here? Don't you think that I'm, I'm needed here? People are being saved left and right. Great joy is everywhere. Don't you think I should stay here? Jesus, the Lord says, no. I want you to leave. This is exactly where Philip is. He's in the midst of this revival, and people are coming to faith. The Holy Spirit is moving abundantly. Even the scripture says as Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, they were preaching the, preaching the gospel throughout the cities of Samaria. This huge revival now was sweeping the land of the Samaria. And at the height of the Samaritan revival, Philip is asked to leave in Acts 8, verse 26. Now the angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go, go toward the south along the road which goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. The Holy Spirit was making a move. The Holy Spirit decided it was time to go. Remember, it is a movement of the Holy Spirit that characterizes the true revival. Now, Philip, being full of the Holy Spirit and being sensitive to the Spirit's leading, Philip was sensitive to the Spirit's leading, he obeys completely. Wow. The Spirit was moving and had chosen one of the participants in this new revival. One who was willing, one who was obedient, one who wanted nothing more than to be used by the Lord, and one who had enough spiritual understanding to realize not to resist the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Many, I talk to many of you, and you tell me you want to be used by the Lord, and you want the Lord to do this, and you want the Lord to do that, and you want the Lord to work mighty in your life. Is the Lord telling you, yeah, I want you to do this, and you're going, I can't go there? I, I, I can't go there. I can only imagine what it must have been like for John and Cheryl when the Lord said, I want you to go to Panama. What? Panama? They don't even speak English down there. Now that's where I want you to go. That's what's happening here. I know I would have argued with the Lord. Lord, there's a great revival going on here. Look at all the people getting saved. Churches are being built. Things are happening. Come on. This is great. Do you know what's in the desert? There's lizards there. Creepy, crawly things. You want me to go there? It's hot, sticky. You know how I hate the heat. Come on, Lord. I have to. That's what I would do. I don't want to go to the desert. I would probably cry, stomp my feet like a little child. I don't want to go. I mean, put yourself in Philip's sandals. Put yourself where he is. He's not one of the 12. Philip is one, isn't one of the 12. He's not even the big three. Peter, James, and John, the big three, he's not even one of them. But something's happening in Samaria. It's the Samaritan crusade. People are getting saved left and right. Even Satan had been defeated when Satan tried to come through Simon to come into the church. He'd been defeated and sent and packing on his way. Everyone is town. Oh, how happy. Happy days are here again. Lord, you want me to go where? There's lizards in the desert. 
I don't like spiders and snakes. You want me to go where? The desert? That's not how Philip responded. That's not how what it says Philip responded. Philip responded perfectly to God's call, to the Lord's call. Why? Because he was ready to serve. He was sensitive to the Holy Spirit. He knew that if God would call him, God would provide him. God would enable him. God would empower him. And he recognized that. If God calls you to a ministry, God gives you everything you need for that ministry and above. And continually provides you if that ministry is truly where he's called you. He continues to provide for you. Philip never questioned the Lord. Philip never doubted. Isn't that wonderful? What an example we have in front of us of a person who is truly sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit and who's truly in touch with the Holy Spirit. He never questioned. He never doubted. He would go anywhere the Lord was asked because Philip was flexible. Blessed are the flexible, for they shall not break. He was sensitive to the Spirit's leading. But most of all, he was obedient to God. He was obedient to God's call. Look at verse 27a. So he arose and went, wow. Okay. That's where I'm going. Okay, Lord. Okay. I love Philip's faith. But Philip's faith was rewarded when he stepped out in obedience to God. See, we forget that part. We forget the part that when we are obedient, our faith is rewarded. We forget the part that when we go and do what God has called us to do, there is great reward out there. There is great joy. There is great peace. People will get saved. People's hearts will be touched. And the gospel message will go forth. And you will have joy inexpressible. When we walk in obedience to the will of God, we always get to see God's hand at work. It is so cool when that happens. But the Holy Spirit had been preparing another heart that day. He had been preparing another heart that he was going to use for. Another willing subject in this revival. And this person would be the actual subject of the revival. He was an Ethiopian eunuch. Look in verse 27 as it continues. So he arose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of the great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of the treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning. He was coming back from Jerusalem. He had come all the way from Ethiopia to Jerusalem to worship because that's where the Jews went. He was a Gentile, a proselyte, looking for God. He had gone to Jerusalem. It was a long, long way, but something was wrong. His heart was not satisfied. Religion never satisfies the heart. Religion doesn't satisfy the heart. When we do things for God and we do acts, it satisfies the flesh, but it does not satisfy our heart. God was clearly working upon this guy's heart. He had come a long way. I mean, look at the map from Ethiopia all the way to Jerusalem. He had come a long, long way, but his heart, fire in his life was not quenched. The Lord had placed a hunger in his heart, a hunger to know the truth, a hunger to be set free from bondage. The Lord had placed a hunger and thirst for righteousness in his heart. And when that happens, Jesus says, oh, how happy is this kind of man. In Matthew 5, verse 6, Jesus says, blessed, oh, how happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Why are they happy? For they shall be filled. They shall be filled when they're seeking after the Lord. Blessed are those that hunger. This describes a profound hunger that cannot be satisfied by a snack. This hunger won't be satisfied by waffles and ice cream. 
Waffles on ice cream will only satisfy your flesh. This true spiritual hunger will not be satisfied by a snack. You want pure meat. You want pure longing, thirst, hunger that endures forever, but you will never be completely satisfied on this side of eternity. But God will fill you, and he will fill you, and he will feed you. We hunger and thirst for righteousness. In this day of modern Christianity, there are Christians who hunger and thirst for many, many different things. Power, authority, success, comfort, happiness. But do we hunger for righteousness? Do we thirst for righteousness? Do we thirst to be holy? Is that what we want to do? Do we thirst to be holy? This is a complete hunger of righteousness. It's a complete righteousness. It's not enough to soothe a guilty conscience. It's not enough just to soothe your guilty conscience. This hunger can only be satisfied by God himself. Do we seek after that kind of hunger? Is that the way you seek after God? With a hunger that is unquenchable. The promise here is that they shall be filled. And this is a strange feeling that both satisfies and keeps us longing for more. We are completely satisfied, but oh, I want more. Oh, I want more of God. Oh, I want more of his word. Oh, I want to pray more, and I want to be on my heart before him, and I want to be on my knees. It it satisfies me so much, but oh, I know there's more, and I want it. That's what this does. Do you have this hunger and thirst for God? Do you have this hunger and thirst for righteousness in your life? If this is what you seek, you shall be filled. You shall be filled. The great, beautiful scripture in Jeremiah 29, verse 13, it says, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. You just can't search for God halfway. It's got to be with all your heart. When you seek him with all your heart, he, you will find him. He will let you find him and he will nourish you and fill you. Philip sees this man sitting in a chariot and he hears this guy reading out loud and is astonished that he's reading from the prophet Isaiah. He's astonished that this black man, this Ethiopian, is reading from one of his prophets, prophet Isaiah, and he's astonished. Acts 8.28, and he was sitting there, the man was sitting in his chariot, and he was reading prophet Isaiah. Look at Philip's obedience, the spirit of the, said to Philip, in Acts 29-30. Then the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you are reading? Can you imagine how amazed Philip was when he heard this? He's got to be looking around like, is this a setup? This can't be this easy. Witnessing is supposed to be difficult. This, is, this can't be easy. This is too easy. This is, I can imagine Paul and Silas had the same look on their face when the, when the jailer in Philippi fell on him and said, what must I do to be saved? Paul looked aside and says, he's kidding, right? We love those kind of questions. Wouldn't it be great if you just walk in a store and people would go, what we got to do to be saved? What? You would look around like, wait a minute. You look, where's the camera? You would look around like, what's going on here? What did we be that simple? But it is that simple. You are when Jesus left earth following his resurrection, his followers weren't sure what was next. They had instructions from their Lord and Savior, but not much else. However, they chose to trust that what Jesus said was true and was going to change their lives. It did. The Holy Spirit came upon them, and they began to minister to the world in ways they'd never have been able to do on their own. Is Jesus asking you to follow His instructions today? 
Maybe he's only given you a piece of the journey, or maybe he's asking you to wait. Take a cue today from the members of the early church. Trust Jesus to come through with his promises and change your life. We're so glad you tuned in to Assure Hope. We'd like to hear from you and learn how we can be praying for you. So please give us a call. Our number is 609-884-5821. If you'd like to hear more messages from this series in the book of Acts, you'll find them at assurehoperadio.com. There are several teachings on various books of the Bible available online for download. And we encourage you to share them with your friends and family. You can also receive a CD copy of today's message by calling us. Again, our number is 609-884-5821. That's all we have time for today. We're so glad we can share God's Word with you through this ministry. Pastor Dave will have more to share from this verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter study of the book of Acts. So we hope you'll join us again right here on A Sure Hope.